Well, good morning. We have a special speaker with us today, Rodney Myers, a missionary. How many years, Rodney, were you a missionary? 13 years a missionary over to um, Tanzania, right? Tanzania. And then God called him back here to the States. He's been the director of the Gospel Furthering Fellowship for the last few years. And we have continued supporting him as a church as we've supported him. We're supporting a missions agency whose focus it is to train missionaries and send them out in the field. So essentially, we are supporting those who are supporting those that have been sent by God's people. And uh, Rodney and I had a great conversation yesterday morning. We were talking about missions and what are some of the flaws of the current system we have as independent Baptists in sending out missionaries and what's the remedy for some of those flaws. I had asked Rodney Myers to uh, speak for us this morning in a combined life group. Of course, Pastor John is preaching this morning. But uh, Rodney, I'm going to give the rest of the 40, about 42, 45 minutes for you, bud. Now it is no longer on mute. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for making me aware of that and then reminding me that I had forgotten, just like my wife. So praise the Lord. Good. So I am uh, privileged in so many ways. I'm privileged to be married to my wife of almost 25 years, uh, Lynn, my college sweetheart, who is not here in this building with us. She's certainly here in this world. She's back at home in our home of Le- in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And I'm so privileged to be the father of our four children, Sean, Jameson, Mariah, and Cherith. Not that I forgot her name. I almost inserted my daughter-in-law's name there, whose name is Elizabeth, just like this young lady back here. And she likes to be called Liz as well. Oh, there she is, hiding behind some other people up here. And I'm not pointing at you, brother. Um, Liz is behind you a couple of rows. And so very thankful and privileged to uh, be a father, a husband. I'm greatly privileged to be in God's family as his uh, servant, his minister in this world. I am greatly privileged to have been able to uh, follow his calling to Tanzania, East Africa, where I served as a church planter uh, through evangelism, discipleship, and leadership training for 13 uh, plus years. And then since then... Uh, the Lord has led us back to the United States for four years now. Uh, since January 2018, I've been the general director of the Gospel Furthering Fellowship. And coming with that responsibility in ministry is, as Pastor portrayed it, uh, my great privilege of being able to recruit new missionary candidates as God has put His call on their life and to mentor them as a missionary, uh, reproducing what God has done in our life into younger missionaries that they might be able to stand before uh, God one day 
and him receive them as a good and faithful servant, a good and faithful steward. And so the training of missionaries through mentorship, and we also have the privilege of doing uh, quite a bit of traveling internationally, specifically targeting areas of the world that is unreached, reclusive, closed access, restricted access, especially to uh, the gospel, uh, and to see what would it take to get a missionary and a gospel witness into that area. And so my son and I and daughter-in-law, Sean and Elizabeth, were planning on going to uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo uh, just a few months ago. And we had that all set. We were waiting for our passports to come back with visas and UPS lost our visas and passports in that final transport after everything had been paid for and permitted. And so we tried to find those all the way up until the last hour before our flight left, and then they were never located. And to this day, they haven't been located. Um, they either lost or stolen. Stolen. But it is what it is. But we had to cancel our trip. Now, even though we lost a significant amount of money uh, in the preparations for that, we were thankful for the amount of money that we were able to save, especially in the tickets going internationally back and forth. Uh, we were able to reschedule those tickets. And just at the end of November now, we are going to go back. We are going to be able to take advantage of that trip, lead my son, his wife, uh, back into that area of the Congo for us to survey where it is that the Lord might open a door of faith for them to be able to minister there as church planting missionaries long term. So you could pray for our safety and for our uh, spiritual success in that survey uh, coming up uh, at the end of November. We'll be gone for three weeks. And then next year in the month of May, right after my younger son, Jameson, graduates from college, him and I are going to be taking a survey trip to the uh, Middle Eastern country of Lebanon, which is an open access country to the gospel, so that we can be introduced to what Christian ministry looks like in a Middle Eastern country, and then we're going to go to the country of Oman, which is not an open access country. It's a restricted access country. I mean, you could be there, get a visa as a Christian, uh, not being a Christian, but get a visa despite the fact that you're a Christian, uh, and then you can look for ways to operate in the country on a secular level and then privately being able to reach out with the gospel in more of an underground way. And that's what we're going to look at for him. That's God's calling on his life. Uh, you could pray for that in May of 2023, but probably just as important is that you can God pray that God brings a wife uh, to this young man, wonderful young man. If you get my prayer card, you can see he's very handsome, looks so much like his mother, uh, and it's, it's a great, so the Lord answers many prayers. Uh, in regards to that. And then we are looking at some other uh, survey trips coming up after that as well. We want to be able to, for example, into the, um, some of the unreached tribal groups in Ukraine, Russia, Romania that are, uh, that are being disenfranchised and displaced because of the war. But normally they are semi-nomadic tribes that travel around with the uh, reindeer. They call them reindeer herder tribes. And there's a young man in my home church in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, who feels God's call possibly 
to that area. He just graduated from high school this last May. His name is Nate. You could pray for Nate, um, that the Lord would give him direction. He wants to go on a survey trip to see what would it, it would take and to entertain God's call farther. All of these takes uh, these trips takes a lot of money, but we're not so focused on the money as much as we are on God's will and being faithful with what God has called us to do and allow Him to provide as we take each step in His way. Did I give you enough time to find Matthew 25? Very good. So let's go to that passage, and I want to speak to you this morning concerning the reception of rewards. The reception of rewards this is about missionary conduct. Now, I originally was planning on coming to do three sessions of a table talks yesterday, and I was very pleased to be able to substitute that time for a different time to be a part of, in a very small way, uh, your church having a community outreach. And so that was a wonderful time. Flexibility is very important uh, to the urgency of the ministry and the task that's found in ministry. And I was glad to be flexible that way, knowing that God was going to be uh, ultimately glorified, and He was. But I was planning on, on uh, teaching yesterday concerning session one, missionary care, session two, missionary concerns, session three, missionary character, and then this morning in life groups, uh, missionary conduct. And so instead of teaching those three things, uh, yesterday I did print booklets, and there might be enough booklets to go around to almost everyone. I already handed some out. Um, we will try to either leave those or get those passed out at some point uh, this morning, just so you could have the, the notes that you could peruse through and enjoy on your own. Probably cause a lot of questions, and then you'd be like, wait, um, I wish he would have taught through this. Well, that's no problem because if you go to our website, gfftabletalks.com, you can go to the resources page and actually download all of the missing blanks that are in those, uh, in those booklets, and that will be a help to that. And so those of you who are, who are having trouble finding Matthew chapter 25, hopefully that is enough time to give you to find it. We're going to look down, if you will, the verse number... <clears throat> Uh, 14. I'm going to read verses uh, 14 through 19. Take a moment to pray, and then we'll get into the balance of our teaching this morning on missionary conduct. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we certainly, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we're going to pray first, and then we'll read the passage, and then we'll get started. Sorry. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you will bless the time that we can enjoy surrounding your word, that we might be encouraged, that we might be given that which is necessary in order to make us courageous, that is, encourage us with your word to be courageous in our actions in obedience towards it in this local church of yours, especially today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Verse number 14 says this, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Whose goods? Yeah, his own goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, listen, according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded. What did he do? 
he went and traded. Yeah, what verse were we in? 16. Uh, With the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. What did the master do? He came. And then he did what? All I hear is soft, mousy women voices. I don't hear any men voices at all. So uh, if you're speaking, praise the Lord for you. But you're right, uh, most likely. I didn't hear you, but you're probably right in that he came and he reckoneth with them. So as we consider missionary conduct this morning, I want to give you uh, uh, the makeup of this parable. The makeup of this parable uh, found in these verses is found in relationships. The relationship of one group to another. How do they relate together? And in verse number 14, remember we read this. The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. This is uh, described as a man traveling to a far country for a certain time. Therefore, he appointed his servants to a task. Though this can be taken as an individual's responsibility, I see it more as the cooperative responsibility of a group of people symbolized by one person here, one person there, another person there. Uh, First, remember, both John the Baptist and Jesus preached for Israel to get ready or repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning the kingdom which Jesus Christ would be over is at hand. It is here, Matthew 5, 2. These two parables that we find in Matthew 25 that are given back to back, the ten virgins and then the talents, gives us a picture of the end of the time period for which to call not only Israel, but all of those who become servants to the master and talents to give account according to his several ability that he had been given. The meaning of talents then in the parable is not money, it's ministry. And in particular, the ministry of the spread of the gospel of Christ to a hopeless world. And we're going to see that as we move on here. Secondly, the individual's responsibility to do the work of the ministry is always centered in or through Christ's local church. Remember Paul and Silas went uh, went from Antioch out on their missionary journeys. Philip the evangelist or the church planter went from the Jerusalem church to Samaria. Thirdly, it's not on the individual level, we as Christ's servants are called to be faithful to fulfill the Great Commission, but we are all together on the collective local church level, individually tasked as a whole to fulfill the commission till he come and reckon with us, as verse 19 indicates about a day of reckoning of what we did with the ministry that he put into our hands according to our abilities. And so first we saw here the master's relationship to his servants. Secondly, we have the servant's relationship to the master's goods. Look at verse number 
15, if you would, with me. And unto one he gave five talents. To another he gave two talents. And to another he gave one to every man according to his ability. Straightway he took his journey. This is the servant's relationship to the master's goods. These servants have been entrusted with the monetary goods, the means to use those goods wisely according, not to their own objective, but the master's objective. And they have the decisive power for management over these goods as they act on their master's behalf. And so, number one, the goods themselves belong wholly to the master himself. The servants are merely stewards over them, but they have been given the responsibility not to do whatever they want, but to act as the master would act. Secondly, their relationship is as a steward, not as a owner. They're managers over their master's affairs in doing that which was left into their hand. And so first we, we see the master's relationship to his servants. Secondly, the servant's relationship to the master's goods. But thirdly, the relationship of the master's goods, listen, to the exchangers. To the exchangers. Let's read verses 16 to 18. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded. What did he do? He went and... That's right, good. He traded with the same and made them five other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, and he gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. To emphasize this truth, look down at verse number 26 and 27. It says, His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawn. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. That at my coming I should have received mine own, in those last two words, with usury. We're going to get into what that means. But the idea, the relationship of the master's goods to the exchangers is that the goods were to be traded or to have been put to the exchangers. First, remember the goods themselves are not, uh, are not monetary things, but they are symbolic of how we use the ministry that God has placed in our hands according to our ability, both with morality and with the methods by which we do them, by which we handle them morality and method. Secondly, the money is only symbolic of a greater spiritual truth. In this case, ministry. Ministry of the furthering of what the master owns for the purpose of causing additional usury, additional advantage to those who do not have. And so the money here is simply symbolic. In other places, Hidden treasure in a field is symbolic, not for money, how we should handle our money, go by, you know, go and search in someone else's field, dig a hole, see if you can find money there, and if you do, buy the field. That's not, you know, advice on how to handle our money. Instead, it is talking about a symbolic for salvation. In another, salt, which is a very costly commodity, 
is a symbol of our testimony. And so here, talents are symbolic of the ministry of the furthering of the gospel. And so finally, we have here uh, next the relationship of the exchangers now to the strangers. Look at verse 27. Being rebuked, the master tells this one, Thou oughtest therefore to have, re- have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. With usury, that means is talking about the fact that you, uh, the master was looking to reap in fields where he had not strawn, where he had not thrown seed, where he had not himself, the master had purchased and put aside uh, in order to get a crop there. He expected that the crop that he sowed in, the workers there would go beyond them, farther than them in a new location where there are strangers for the point of sowing that they might reap instead. It, um, primarily, this is to benefit the master, but through the means of benefiting the stranger, those who are without, those who are in need, those who without the master's good would remain poor, bankrupt, destitute, and without hope in this world. And by the way, I might add here that the practice of putting money to the exchangers with usury or charging interest was prohibited in the law by uh, in the law of Moses for Jews to do with other Jews they could only be prohibit they only be permitted to do that according to the law to to give with usury to those who are strangers those who are not a part of the commonwealth of Israel and this therefore is a reference to the gentile nations Ephesians 2 puts it this way that at that time ye meaning ye gentiles were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye, meaning ye Gentiles, who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And that brings us to our next relationship, the relationship of the strangers to the usury. What does usury mean? It's an increase of goods um, which isn't there to begin with, which benefits the strangers themselves, the exchangers, the servants, and then ultimately the master. The master desires and designs that the return for which he hoped and planned would occur if his servants would only be good stewards to manage his goods with the right methods and the right morals. So first we started off with the makeup of the parable. It's made up of relationships. Who is related to who and for what reason? Secondly, after the makeup of the parable, I want us to look at the moving parts of the parable just briefly. Number one, the master in the parable is Jesus Christ. In the parable, he went away and would soon come back to receive those who are his unto himself. Secondly, the talents are responsibilities of furthering the ministry of the gospel, especially in missions, 
Jesus charged his servants in Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, literally to make disciples who can make disciples. What that means. And then thirdly, the servants are, in this parable, are different <laughs> organisms made up of individuals, as in local churches, each underneath the headship of Christ. In the Old Testament, during the times of the Gospels, the nation of Israel was elect and chosen of God to be the ones who would bear the light of God's truth in the world to all the Gentiles, to all the world. But as Jesus was rejected by Israel uh, while discipling the 12 and in upwards of 120, Israel would be cut off, not thrown away and burned, but cut off until the Gentiles, the wild olive branch, would be grafted in to God's program and they would become that light to bear God's truth to the world through a new organism called the local New Testament church. Not a nebulous worldwide web called the church or a worldwide organization, but local organisms or bodies over which every single one, Christ, is her head. And she is one organized body made up of individual parts. That's you. That's you. That's you, Liz. That's you. You're the individual that makes up the whole to which Christ is the head that has been given the ministry of furthering the goods of the master, the gospel which saves people from the wickedness of their sin and is, brings benefit to them where they are in their countries, in their nations, that benefits them all the way back to the master. And so what's the meaning of the parable? Christ intends his goods, his ministry to be used in a way where they will go out and see a spiritual work accomplished among those who are aliens and strangers to the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, the value in his goods being both intrinsic and explicit has the eternal value to touch and transform the lives of those who are presently destitute and dead in their trespasses and sin, living in lands that are hellish and harsh and without any hope of salvation. Thirdly, those who realize the value of these goods and its intended effects are to make calculated risks based on the value of those goods and the urgent need to get them to the strangers. And when time comes, fourthly, when the opportunity for ministering is over, the work will be reviewed and there will be a reception of rewards for all his stewards, his servants, those who are faithful and those who are not. So finally, the main points of the parable. Look with me at verse number 21. Verse number 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So for the sake of time, I want us to break down that same statement that is spoken again to him that only had two talents, five talents, two talents, this phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, there was a contrasting 
phrase that the master used for he who was entrusted with the ministry of going further with the gospel. But instead of going further with the gospel, he stayed where he was with the gospel and did not go. And he preserved it. He protected it. It was there to represent at the end uh, on the day of accounting. However, the master said to this fearful servant that you are wicked and slothful. And so number one, we are looking at three different type of things by which we shall be indeed um, recognized as having been our response to that talent, that degree of ministry which we received, and then we set it out to the exchangers with usury to the point of creating more than what was there than when we received it. Number one is seen in the words of well done. The words well done speaks of the methods in missions. The methods in missions. He also said to the other one uh, who had done wickedly. So it's either a well done or a wickedly done. Methods and missions. Many missionaries are moral and ethical people. They want to do what is right and see God bless because of it. The problem comes when their ethics are compromised because they see that there is a greater good in their minds that they want to accomplish if they just depart from the moral ethics of, of, of the methods that are called on by the scriptures for us to follow. If we depart from them for just a time in order to accomplish something with much more speed, then the end result is more important than the means by which we got there. And that method itself is a compromise to God's character and his righteousness. For example, we might say a, a missionary say, well, it's morally superior to, to hold people accountable. However, it, it, in, in case I need to get the gospel to go farther faster, then it becomes for a short period of time a superior thing to pay off government officials in order to obtain our missions registration so we can finally get started in ministry. Or another thing, to go around government regulations in order to build a church or register a church or ministry since the government officials are corrupt anyway, and therefore we won't follow all these laws. We will cut through and just depart from ethics for a time in order to accomplish, quote, a greater good. Or they might say it is a morally superior thing for us in order to set up a church that is independent, that could rely on itself, that could propagate the gospel without any help from us, but in order to get there faster, then it is a superior thing, a morally better thing to depart from those ethics that we might get to that quicker. And so we're going to hire national pastors. We are going to buy property, buy buildings, furnish everything. And once everything is taken care of, then we'll hand it over to them and say, okay, now it's yours. You reproduce it. It doesn't work in the States and it doesn't work on the foreign field. It is a departure from ethics in order to accomplish a greater good 
And the Bible tells us that we will be judged according to our methods. Our methods. Remember, he said, well done. It's a, it's a, a, a direct uh, speaking of the methods in mission. Secondly, he speaks to the morality in missions. Remember, look here, he says, well done, thou good servant, thou good servant. In contrast to that, the other servant is a fearful servant. This is the morality of missions. So much of missions today is accomplished through manipulation, lying, deception, coercion, gaslighting, that there are really two worlds on the mission field these days, the world of expressing God's kingdom and the world of extorting God's kingdom. As local churches supporting missions and missionaries, we cannot go off just simply good hunches that the missionaries that come to us or we support on the field are those who are expressing God's kingdom and not those who are extorting God's kingdom. We must be stewards or servants over the master's goods who are wise. Wise. We cannot choose to be ignorant and foolish and believe that something is true without proving that it is true. Stewards are held accountable for their morality. They're held accountable for their methods. And uh, also, thirdly, they are held accountable for their management. It says, well done, thou good servant. Well done, thou faithful servant. Faithful servant. In contrast to that, the servant, one, was slothful. This is the management of missions. What did you do with the goods God gave you according to your several abilities? And this is not speaking primarily just to the physical abilities, but speaking to the spiritual abilities that he has given you, the spiritual gifts that he's put, in, in, put inside of every single believer who has received Christ as their Savior when the Holy Spirit came inside of him, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Romans chapter 12, that he has divided up severally among you spiritual gifts, that is, spiritual abilities, in order to do more and go farther in your local church and to be an example to others also. But it also speaks of God's spiritual grace that he's given to you for you to accomplish something in the power he's given you and beyond the power he has given you. I want you to remember 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he gives the example of the Macedonian churches, who he describes as being bankrupt and powerless. But yet, because they gave themselves first to God and they desired to be used of God to help the suffering Christians in Jerusalem to be able to endure the, uh, uh, the um, I'm thinking of it in Swahili, but you won't, that won't help you, the dearth, the famine, that Agabus, the prophet, had prophesied would happen at, at that time coming where there was no food, there was no water. And by the way, because the Jews in Jerusalem have cho had chosen 
to, uh, to, to forsake their families and their communities that they might win Christ and said they were cut off from protection and provisions that would normally be provided by a secure community. They had to because they were being rejected by them when they accepted Christ. And here they are with no community to fall into for provision, for protection, for personal relationships. And the Macedonian people said, we're poor, we're bankrupt. If we give to them, we will not have enough money left over to, to help ourselves. And God said, you give to them, and by my grace, you will have enough for yourself left over. You don't have to see why. You only have to rely on my grace. And these people in Macedonia, Paul said, God gave them grace when they choose to, chose to sacrificially give beyond their power. You see that? That church in Macedonia is a faithful servant. They managed their ministry according to the gifts that God had given them and the grace that God had promised them. Listen, God is going to judge us. Christ has given us the ability. He wants to receive us as faithful servants, having managed his ministry properly, wisely. He wants to receive us as moral ministers, ones who, who did not rely on deception or manipulation in order to further his, try to further his kingdom. And he wants to judge us and receive us for having done well in our methods in missions. He wants to receive us. How often do I remember my dad coming home from work or being gone on a trip and coming back and him coming through that door? And as a little boy, I'd be like, oh, it's dad. And dad would reach out his hands and say, come here, son. What a reception that was. And if he had something in his pocket, which he never did, but for sake of illustration, in order to give me, what a greater, grander reception that would be. Now, there's another reception that's described here, and I'm going to close with this story. And it is a reception not of rewards, but of loss. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul describes ministers who built with gold, silver, and precious stone, morality, methods, and what was the other one? that I said. Management, thank you. Or those who built with wood, hay, and stubble. Listen, they were diligent, sacrificial, hardworking to build a great ministry, but of wood, hay, and stubble. See that? And then in the end, in front of the eyes of Christ, not the eyes of their peers, but in the judgmental eyes of Christ, all was burned, and those who had built with, with gold, silver, and precious stone received a reception of rewards. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But those who had built ministries, massive ministries of wood, hay, and stubble was burned, and they suffered loss. And it's described in this parable. We won't get into it. But I want to finish with this story. I'm reminded of a young lady, a mother of two in Tanzania, in the village beyond where our church was. 
who, ha was, who had lived like most everyone did in a house made of, made of uh, a grass roof and um, uh, sticks as walls all the way around, just one, one room where her and her husband or two small children lived. Her husband had a job in another part of the country, would send money back to her. Uh, but she got up just like she did every single morning, and she got kindling right there in that one room, and she put it in between three bricks where she put a pot in on, and she didn't put the pot on there yet. She didn't have any water, but she lit that kindling, and then she strapped her baby to her back, and her two-year-old girl was sleeping on the bed uh, right there that she had, and then she took her young baby with a, uh, with a big... Um, Sufuria, whatever that is in English, uh, something to hold water with, and walked all the way down to the stream. When she got to the stream, she got the water out, balanced it on her head, and was walking back to her home. And as she was coming over that hill, she could see smoke. And when she got to the top of the hill, she looked and she saw her one home, her place where she lived, where her two-year-old daughter was asleep on that bed, was engulfed in flames because of what she did. Now, there was no ill intent. She didn't do it on purpose. It was out of ignorance. She didn't realize that that wood that she had put there uh, was a little bit damp, and it caused the crackling, and it shot up the uh, sparks into the air, and it landed on that mattress that caught on fire and burned everything to the ground. Now listen, I just want to capture one thought from that story. We did what we could as a church to reach out to help her in her need and to comfort her and provide for her to the degree that was appropriate as a part of the community. But this is, this is what I want to communicate to you. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul describes ministries that are burned with no value and they suffer what? Loss. That mother suffered loss that day. You know how she suffered it? Right here. Oh, the pain, the regret, the anguish, being so distraught. She felt it right there in her gut. Oh, she just, it just overtook her, bending her over in tears and frustration and gnashing of teeth because of the degree of that loss that she felt that she realized that it was a part of her responsibility and her ignorance and her actions that caused it. But even more than that, but the innocent people, the person, that baby that was harmed, that was hurt because of what she did. Loss. The wicked, fearful, slothful servant, we cannot be. But if we stand before God with the wrong methods the wrong management, the wrong morality, when this age is over, we are told that we will suffer loss. Oh, can't believe the innocent people that were hurt or that were left out of God's goods that he provided for them because of my negligence. God doesn't want that. Christ wants to receive you with rewards, not loss. Let's be a church that manages with morality and methods that are honorable to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the time that you gave us. Thank you so much for 
these people being so patient, listening carefully to what we talked about. And I pray that you'll bless as we continue to worship you in your house today. In Jesus' name, amen.